A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to this La Liga Lowdown match day recap of the 12th round of the La Liga season, also rebroadcast on Sirius XMFC 157. I'm your host, Jim McTeer, and we'll have contributors from across Spain and beyond with reporters who were at the biggest games of the weekend telling you exactly what went down. First, let's start at the very beginning, a very good place to start. There was no Friday fixture this weekend meaning that the first game of round 12 was the Espanyol versus Valencia game on Saturday lunchtime. Although Espanyol took the lead from the penalty spot through Mark Roca, Valencia fought back in the second half as Danny Parejo scored a penalty of his own and as Maxi Gomez headed in a late winner. This means that Espanyol have now had six home matches this La Liga season and they've lost all six of them. They have the seventh best away record but the very worst home record. That's pretty weird. For Valencia point of view, this was exactly what they needed after four matches without a win. So let's bring in Paco Pollock now to discuss their performance. And first of all, Paco, how important was the back from suspension Rodrigo Moreno to this victory? Well, Rodrigo was indeed one of the highlights for Valencia in their win, but he wasn't really that great in the first half, in the same way the whole team was disappointing in the first period. Rodrigo has a proficient role of linking the midfield game of Dani Parejo with the offense, and due to Espanyol's good pressing, he wasn't really able to do that in the first 45 minutes. Valencia overall improved after the break, they opened the pitch and covered more terrain, and then Rodrigo felt much freer and confident to generate ruckus amongst the opposition. His assist to Maxi Gomez was excellent in a play in the wing and overall he looked a bit closer to the monster player he has been in the past. It was Pablo Machin against Albert Saladas in the dugouts. Two coaches who didn't start the season with their current clubs and Saladas won this battle of the new coaches. Some of Saladas' tactical decisions were pretty interesting, weren't they? The best thing that can be said about Celades is that he usually knows what his team is doing wrong at halftime and his subs usually improve their performance. But he still struggles with lineups and first halves because Pablo Machin's tactics were also far superior this weekend. However, Valencia's attitude and style were both overhauled and slowly turned around the tide. Once again, bringing in Manu Vallejo and Ruben Sobrino was a very risky move 
move that really paid off, as well as keeping Rodrigo and Maxi playing in front. The attacking pattern made Valencia the dominant side and Albert Celades was able to beat Machin in his own ground. Moving on to one of the biggest results of the weekend, you were in attendance, Paco, at Levante versus Barcelona, as another Valencian team beat another Catalan team. Lionel Messi put Barcelona ahead from the penalty spot, even though that penalty probably shouldn't have been given because Antoine Griezmann was offside in the build-up to the move. But then Levante came firing back in the second half and scored three goals in seven minutes and 28 seconds. The first from Jose Campagna hit the net on 60 minutes and one second. The second from Borja Mayoral hit the net on 62 minutes and 24 seconds. And the third from Nemanja Vidodja hit the net on 67 minutes and 29 seconds. If you'd started playing Don McLean's American Pie when the first goal went in, you wouldn't even have reached the final course by the time the third goal was scored. We'll soon get on to Barcelona and we'll ask if this may be the day that Valverde's Barcelona career died. But first, let's get back to Paco and ask just what the atmosphere was like at the Ciutat de Valencia Stadium when that third goal went in. Absolutely nuts. Really, really special. And it wasn't even the first time something like this happens. Those three Levante goals in seven minutes sent the fans into a riot on the stands and Barca straight to the mat. You had to see the faces of the fans to realize just how delightful such a result was for a little club who has become a master in slapping Barca around every time Valverde's men visit the Ciutat de Valencia ground. In contrast, even the looks on Messi's or Griezmann's faces was also something to behold. What did Levante do to manage to hurt Barcelona so much? First of all, they never stopped believing. Even after Barca scored the opener with that Griezmann offside that VAR didn't rule out. In fact, you could sum up Levante's merits in just three bullet points. They were very aggressive when recovering the ball. They opened wide the field so wingers had space to move when countering. And they were clinical when finishing their chances. They scored three, could definitely have scored a couple more in a second half where Barca were suffering a true meltdown. All in all, we saw the same master strokes that have led Levante to beat Barca twice in the last two seasons. Now the tally has increased to three times in the last three years. There were five more saves for Aitor Fernandez. He now has more saves this season than any other goalkeeper in La Liga, with a total of 49 across 12 matches. How good has he been, especially when considering he wasn't even the starter all of last season? Okay, let's go for some La Liga lowdown breaking news here. Aitor Fernandez is potentially national squad material. It's not a wild guess, just some insider intel added to the fact that the Basque keeper has been just brilliant this season, with plenty of Levante 17 points to date thanks to his amazing performances. Didn't take that long for him to become Levante's starter keeper this season, and if he keeps being this ridiculously good, it shouldn't take long before Robert Moreno calls him as the third goalie for Spain right next to Kepa and De Gea. A pretty bold take there, Paco, but I actually agree. Aitor probably does deserve a national team call-up. Now, it's time to move on to the Barcelona side of this result, and we'll do that with Roman de Arker. Roman, this was a bad Barcelona performance. How frustrated are you as a Barcelona fan? It's obviously frustrating. It's also disappointing. But at the same time, I kind of expected this as a possible outcome, because let's not forget... Uh, Barca have been playing really badly away from the Camp Nou the whole season so far. Since the first game against Atletico de Bilbao, 
until uh, the last game against Slavia de Praga in the Champions League where Barcelona won, but their image was very poor. And this was confirmed one more time against Levante. So it's a very delicate situation for Barcelona right now. And it doesn't seem like it has an easy solution at the moment. Who or what do you blame for this defeat? In my opinion, there are a lot of parties to blame for this, um, starting with the players, of course, because, I mean, they're on the field and they have a responsibility and if they're not scoring goals and they're conceding them, then, of course, it's it's their fault. But then I think it goes further on than that because let's not forget that this isn't just a one-game thing. This has been happening many games. And so I really believe that Valverde also has a big part of this blame to to take I mean he's been here now for three seasons I just don't see any evolution in the way the team plays and as a matter of fact defensively we look weaker every year and then of course Bartomeu and all the other board members have to be blamed also because they haven't really handled uh, the club situation very well these last few years yeah from what I've seen people are blaming everyone you just mentioned but I think Valverde is the one coming in for the most criticism. Let's talk now about one Valverde decision that struck me as a little weird. Jordi Alba didn't play because he was a little bit injured, fair enough, but his natural replacement at left-back junior pupil wasn't even in the squad. The guy they paid 18 million euros for in the summer. What's going on there? Well, this is another thing of those Valverde situations one doesn't completely understand why he doesn't go for junior pupil, who's a perfectly valid uh, left-back and instead he prefers to play Semed on the left and Sergio Roberto on the right. Obviously something's not right with uh, Junior Firpo, at least in terms of um, Valverde's point of view, because he probably doesn't like him enough or he thinks he's not um, ready to be a starter in, in important away games. But I don't see any other reason why he wouldn't play, to be honest. And it's surprising he's not getting at least some more chances to prove himself. But um, it's Valverde's decision and I just think he doesn't like the player at least or he thinks he's not ready and that's quite surprising taking into account he's a Primera División player who's proved his worth in an important team such as Real Betis. Jared Pique had a bad day, that can happen, it's okay to have a bad performance but I've seen some Barcelona fans saying that his bad performance was a result of distractions like the Davis Cup. Do you agree are Pique's off the pitch activities impacting on his on the pitch performance? I think those claims are just very opportunistic. Uh, let's not forget, Piquet hasn't made many friends. He he tends to say things people don't want to hear, and he can be very controversial. So of course, uh, people make um, take advantage, sorry, of, of of these kind of things. And when he's um, working in a Copa Davis, which is gathering a lot of media attention and everybody's hearing about it, they're going to go for him and, and blame him for being more worried about the Copa Davis than. Uh, about Barcelona, but I don't think that's true at all. Let's not forget, people and players have their own personal lives apart from their professional ones. And I mean, Piqué is related to this, but other players from Barcelona are in other businesses, but they're not getting so much attention and nobody's blaming them for that. So I think it's quite ridiculous to claim uh, that Piqué is playing badly because of the Copa Davis. I've got to agree with you there. I don't think it's that big an issue. Now, Griezmann was defending quite a lot in this game. There were so many moments where he was a man tracking back and winning the ball. What did you think about that? Because they didn't really spend 120 million euros for a defender, did they? Well, I don't really see that as a problem, to be honest. I mean, not many players show that solidarity with their own teammates and go down to defend whenever they need that extra help. Let's not forget players like Messi or Dembele don't tend to go down uh, and help in defensive uh, tasks. 
But Griezmann, let's not forget, he played for a Cholo, for Atletico Madrid, and he learned those attributes, those characteristics, and he's now using them at his, uh, in his favor because that's a positive aspect he can provide. So, of course, the ideal would be to see Griezmann attacking all the time and scoring goals and not having to bother about defense, but it's not the case. Barca need that extra help, so I think it's always a good thing to have in your team. I'm just not so sure. I think in certain situations with Atletico or with France, Griezmann's defensive contributions were really useful. But in this situation, in this scenario, especially with Luis Suarez having had to go off with an injury in the first half, I think Griezmann needed to focus more on the creative side of the game and on helping out Messi. Lots for Barcelona to work on then over the coming weeks and months, that's for sure. This man. To the back of the net, red hot goal from Aiden Hazard. But they're going to take a look at this in the van down by the river, but I didn't see too much wrong with this. This is Hazard at his absolute scintillating best, Phil. Driving to the left, pulls it back to the right in a 90 degree Pac Man type of move. The beautiful slingshot home, but they're looking at something. Take a look, Benzema, magic, is he onside? Oh, it's pixel, close, but you know what, Phil? I think he's a Belgian waffle offside. A beautiful goal, despite the fact there's millimetres. Wonderful direction, plenty of power and placement, but I think this one may get rubbed off. Barcelona's slip-up left Real Madrid with the opportunity to go top of the table on Saturday night as they took on Real Betis at the Bernabeu. I was there for this one, but I didn't see any goals as it finished in a 0-0 draw. Well, that's not quite true. I did see one Eden Hazard goal in the 8th minute, the one we just heard the BN Sports commentary for, but the Belgian was just offside and it was chalked off. After that moment, Hazard didn't actually have another shot in the match, as Real Madrid really struggled to break down a pretty defensive Real Betis side that had 6 defenders, including 4 centre-backs in their starting 11. They were playing a sort of centre-back diamond in defence with Zuhair Vidal the deepest as a sort of sweeper, Sidney to his left, Issa Mandy to his right and with Mark Bartra in front of this trio to offer an extra line of security. We can call it defensive but Ruby and Real Betis do deserve credit for executing it well. Leganes also had six defenders in their starting 11 at the Bernabeu three nights previously yet they got hammered 5-0. This time Real Betis really frustrated Real Madrid and they couldn't find a way through. It finished 0-0 and that means there is a three-way tie at the top of the league with Barcelona on 22 points, Real Madrid on 22 points and finally Real Sociedad on 22 points. We're going to take a short break just now and when we return we'll talk about Real Sociedad and their latest victory. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to this episode of La Liga Lowdown. It's our week 12 recap and it's time to discuss Real Sociedad, the team that's joint top of La Liga after going away to last weekend's leaders, Granada, and defeating them 2-1. It was a complicated trip for the Real Sociedad squad because high winds meant their plane couldn't actually land in Granada's airport. Instead, they had to land in Malaga and take multiple taxis to make the 90-minute trip to the city where the game was actually being played. Despite these complications though, it was a good performance from the back side on the pitch and Porto was their main man. He and Alvaro Vadillo scored the first half goals to make it 1-1 before Porto popped up in the 89th minute to seal the three points. Real Sociedad take on Leganes next, a Leganes side that remained bottom of the table after losing at home to Ibar. Yusuf and Nezri put Leganes ahead early on, but goals from Ibar's two centre forwards, Charles and Kiki Garcia, earned them a 2-1 away win. I went along to Butarque for this one and the Ibar fans who made the trip were in full voice, as you could hear, as they celebrated it. The Leganes fans, on the other hand, not so much. They're bottom of the table with just five points and they're six from safety. They should though finally have a new coach. Former Osasuna, Atletico Madrid and Mexico coach Javier Aguirre is flying in on Monday to sign a contract. By the time you listen to this, he might already be the coach of the basement boys as they try to pull off a great escape. Another side looking for a new coach is Celta Vigo. They just lost 1-0 at home to Etafe and are third bottom of the table, only just ahead of Espanyol and Leganes. After this latest defeat, the club decided it was time to part ways with Fran Escriba, the coach who managed to keep him up last season but is never really convinced. We'll soon see who they bring in and when they do make their next hire, we'll be bringing you all the analysis right here on La Liga Lowdown. Let's now talk about the big heavyweight class of the weekend, the battle between Sevilla and Atletico Madrid and the sanchez Pizjuan. Our Sevilla correspondent, Gregor Chappelle, was at the game for La Liga Lowdown. And first of all, Gregor, was the scoreline of 1-1 with goals from Franco Vasquez and Alvaro Morata a fair result? Yeah, I think in the first half, Sevilla were the better side. Um, they had more of the ball, they created more chances and they went into the break, deservedly 1-0 up. But then after half-time, Atleti did come out far stronger. They started the second half really brightly, saw a lot of the ball themselves, obviously equalised. But then the big moment for me was the penalty save from Diego Costa. I feel like Atleti were in a strong position in the match at that point, and uh, Sevilla were definitely buoyed after after he missed that penalty. So they, they then came back into the game but couldn't find a winner themselves. So for me, overall, a draw is probably a fair result. 
but having said that, Atleti will probably look back at this match and be ruined the, the chances that they missed and feel like they probably should have taken all three points. One of the chances that they missed was in the 92nd minute when Sevilla centre-back Julius Gundy blocked a shot on the line and then he sort of sat on the ball. Unless you have impeccable eyesight, Gregor, I doubt you would have seen exactly what happened in the moment, but have you since had a chance to work out what went on there? Yeah, it's a bit of a crazy one. I mean, at the time, I didn't really know what had happened for me. It looked like he just he just laid down on the ball <laughs> and it seemed like an obvious foul to me. Um, and watching it back again, I think it was a penalty because, I mean, whether he meant it or not, he did handle the ball and that prevented it from going over the line. I can't really understand why, even after the VAR check, the penalty wasn't awarded and somehow Sevilla came away with a free kick from that. Well, who's to say Diego Costa would have scored the penalty anyway? This was Sevilla's first La Liga match of the season without Fernando Reyes anchoring their midfield. Nemanja Gudeld played in his place. How did he do? Yeah, last weekend I mentioned that Fernando does a really good job of um, splitting the two centre-backs and dropping in between them and giving Sevilla a really strong defensive base. And I feel like he came in this weekend, obviously with Fernando missing, and filled that role really well. I thought he had a really solid game. Absolutely, I agree. Goodell played quite deep at times, but did a good job. One other player you were keeping a close eye on was Oliver Torres, as he took on his former club. He played quite well, I thought. I bet Atletico Madrid fans were wondering, where was this version of Oliver Torres when he was with them? Yeah, I think you're probably right. I mean, he probably went out there wanting to prove a point against his old club, as many players do. But I was impressed by him. I thought he looked comfortable on the ball. He wasn't scared to take it. He moved it around really well. He played a lot of really good diagonals to Jesus Navas on the other flank. But he was silly to get booked, and that's what led to him being taken off early in the second half for Juan Jordan. But up to that point, I thought he gave a really good account of himself. And yeah, Atleti will be wondering where that player was when he was on their books. Thanks, Gregor. Now, there's no doubt that the craziest game of the weekend was at El Sadar, as Osasuna extended their unbeaten run in home league matches to 31 games, 24 of which have been victories. They hosted Alaves in a local derby and won the match 4-2. It was six different goal scorers, three of the goals from the penalty spot as Ruben Garcia, Jimmy Avila, Roberto Torres and Juan Villar scored for Osasuna and Victor Laguardia and Lucas Perez did so for Alaves. There's sometimes a perception that bad sides are very defensive and that matches in the north don't produce much good football or good goals. This match proved that that theory is very wrong. There were no goals though in the game between Villarreal and Athletic Club, two teams with European aspirations. After a rocky start to the season, Villarreal have improved a lot and they played quite well in this match, even if they couldn't get the win. Let's bring in Alan Dodson now on the Villarreal USA SB Nation site to ask how he felt about this performance, especially in the context of their disappointing last-minute midweek defeat to Ibar. This was a um, better performance from Villarreal, I think especially the first half an hour. Um, it was a very good response. We could have gotten um, one or two goals, I think, before halftime. And credit to Athletic Club, they played to their strengths more and more as the game went on. Um, Simone had an excellent game and goal for them. Uri was also very good. But I think we did play well. I think we can feel disappointed we didn't get the win. Um, I think most most times um, when you have seven shots on target, you're going to get at least one of them in. So I think it was a good response, and I think we particularly looked 
we did a good job of taking Munayin out of the game, which I thought he was going to be a key player for them, and he really wasn't, and that was a good job from us. Overall, Villarreal have been impressive this season. They seem to have a defined lineup, don't they? Yes, Villarreal's lineup is fairly defined, which is which is good. Most of the time, since we don't, since we're not in Europe, we don't have to worry too much about making rotations. We did on Thursday, since we had a game on Thursday and Sunday. Um, the drawback to having a, a defined lineup is that we're very reliant on several players. You know, it's it's really um, Santi and Gerard are are two of our key players in terms of in terms of passing and really creating opportunities for players. So I think as the season goes on, we may have to make more changes than we're making now. But yes, right now it seems that we have a very subtle lineup. Right back Ruben Pena returned for this game. How important is he? Ruben Pena is really important. I think we really missed him on Thursday because against a team that presses high and uh, tries to make us play out of the back, He's the he and Alberto Moreno, who's who's currently injured again, are the are the two fullbacks who can really win the one on one duels and get forward. And um, Pena being able to being able to play, you saw the difference even in the first um, fifteen twenty minutes. He was he was really um, creating problems down the athletic left. So he's an important important player and I I, uh, think we'll see him as a regular starter um, from now on. Everybody talks about Villarreal's attack but after this clean sheet is their defence maybe underrated? To some degree yes because we think we all got a little bent out of shape um, when we conceded four goals against Granada in the first game of the year. And so that was, um, I think, a pretty good... uh, We had a lot of worries about our defense after that. But if you look in the last eight, ten matches, we've we've played much better. I think the the other thing is that, that compared to last season, where we... If we got a lead or if we were trying to hold on to a nil-nil match, we always had the concern that there, somebody was going to make a key error or our defense was just going to fold. This year, there's a lot more confidence in the defense, and I think a lot of that comes from Albiol and, and Powell and Asenjo. The three of them seem to work very well together. And overall, yeah, I think we I think we do look a lot better. I think Kaleja has has worked hard to um, figure out what he's got and get a better balance between offense and defense. Um, and I think we can look at our record right now and actually feel somewhat disappointed that we've actually played better than the record shows. Thanks, Alan. Maybe there is more to come from Villarreal and maybe they can improve that record. Now, finally, the moment of the weekend might be the third goal of Real Vagleed's 3-0 win over Real Mallorca. Why is that? Well, it's because Sandro Ramirez scored. Okay, the goalkeeper was a little suspect, but I think most in Spanish football are happy to see Sandro Ramirez score his first goal since November 23rd, 2017. 23 months and 11 days later, he scored again. So well done to Sandro and thanks to all this week's contributors, to Paco Pollitt, to Roman de Arker, to Gregor Chappelle and to Alan Dodson. I've been your host, Jimmy Tier, and I thank you for listening. Remember, we'll be back at the same time next week to review Match Day 13, a match day that includes the Seville Derby. Before then, we'll even have a midweek podcast coming out on Thursday to discuss what makes the Seville Derby so special. We hope you'll join us then. 
and thanks for being with us today.